The only person who can have that little part 24 seven is the adult part. And, you know, not even your spouse can be there. Even if you live together, they can't have it all the time and nor should they. And, And that's the codependent versus interdependent crucial difference. And I I think it's a base health for all relationships. Welcome to Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams so you have the courage to live your best life. I'm Rebecca Mullen, a relationship coach living in Western Colorado, and today I'm excited to share another interview with you. I hope you enjoy it. Today I'm talking to my best friend, Dawn Larson, and her brand new husband, James Buchanan. Between the two of them, they have more than four decades of dedicated work in the world of psychology and healing. Dawn is the founder of Colorado Therapies, an interdisciplinary healing center, and James brought cultural transformation to the corporate world with his leadership trainings. I'm excited for you to hear how they have integrated and applied all that they've learned professionally into their private marriage. Today, I am here interviewing my very best friend in the whole world, and it's not that I'm biased or anything, but I also think she's the best psychotherapist in the world, too. So I guess my first question for you, because you're both have such long histories in psychotherapy, is what is it like to be psychotherapists and see all that baggage in your practice and then to start <laughs> into a relationship. Well, you know, we had former marriages, both of us, and um, I'll speak for myself. I learned a lot from my former marriages, and and I really feel that psychotherapy and working with folks, it's such an honor, and you get to really learn a lot from your clients as well as they learn a lot from us, and we hold the space for them to heal and to create that crucible of healing. Um, but I get a lot of takeaway from, you know, what I can do better, what, you know, what is going well for people in their relationship, as well as what doesn't go so well and the pitfalls to avoid. And I think both James and I've had that advantage. Both of us having been married and divorced before, we kind of learned our lessons about what choices we made from our own trauma and from our own, you know, history of things that we needed to grow from and and grow through. Mm -hmm. And one of the biggest benefits I felt from meeting her is that she's actually somebody who does that work, who does that personal development and growth work. Mm-hmm. And um, that's always been really important to me. So she's really the first partner I've had that I felt was as passionate about her own personal development as I am. And so we match really well in growing ourselves into our relationship. James, you mentioned growing through your trauma. What is it like when you lean in and deal with your trauma and how does a relationship change when you can place that trauma in a healed space or a container? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I think the easiest way to answer it is to look at 
at my first marriage versus this relationship. And the way I'd look at it, it was, you know, young 20 something year old guy still carrying a tremendous amount of trauma from childhood mm-hmm. um, with my first wife, who's carrying a tremendous amount of trauma from her first from her childhood and her first marriage there. Right. So we're like two puzzle pieces with very jagged and broken cuts in those puzzle pieces, but we fit together. Mm-hmm. But that fitting of together was was a trauma bonding, was a was our trauma fitting together in a way that we felt comforted by each other, but it wasn't healthy. It was codependent. It involved borrowed functioning. It was manipulative. It had a whole lot to do with dealing with trauma that was unresolved and trying to feel comfortable in a life with all that unresolved trauma. I just want to clarify, what is borrowed functioning? It's just another term for codependency. And what it means is that in a codependent relationship where both people are codependent, you're handing off borrowed functioning to determine who gets to be the person who's whole that day. So for instance, I I might be needy and moody in such a way that she, you know, that my first wife would be supportive and lifting me up and trying to, and trying to carry me. Right. So I'm borrowing functioning from her, but in that she's losing freedom and she's losing functionality. And then maybe the next day she has a meltdown and I have to rescue her and she borrows functioning from me. And we hand it back and forth. So neither one of us is whole. Neither one of us is complete, right? We're not really coming into the relationship as two whole individuals. We're walking into the relationship as two people who have not found their wholeness, leaning on each other, trying to to fake it. What's the difference between dysfunction like that and a healthy support of one another? Because like, Obviously, yeah. we all have bad days. And one yeah. of the great things about having a, a wonderful person in our life is I have somebody I can lean on when I'm out of resources. So what's the we, call, we call that interdependent versus codependent. Yeah. And the interdependency is what I think we've finally gotten to really experience with each other to give each other support when the other person is down, but I don't rescue him. And he has his things that he goes and does. He goes and meditates. He takes a run. He he takes a bike ride. You know, he he takes care of himself and then he comes back. And then we talk through his emotional trigger or whatever was happening for him. And I can be interdependent so that we're both, we can both lean on each other, but I'm not functioning for him. I'm not, you know, some of the, if you look up codependency on the internet, it talks about a very long string of behaviors where you give up your needs and you and you might be kind of victimy in that or you might be really hoping the other person will make you feel valuable um you know if you overgive then you're valuable you know that kind mm-hmm. of thing and that is a very unhealthy it's not sustainable in marriages that we oftentimes see in our practice and that we've seen in our lives in a codependent relationship nobody gets stronger Right. In an interdependent relationship, because we trust each other's power. Yeah. Right. We we don't try and steal each other's power. So if I'm deregulated, I I own it. Right. If I'm having a struggle and I might say, OK, I'm going to go sit and meditate. I'm going to go on a walk. I'm going to go on a ride. I'm going to sit and think through what's going on with me until I regulate myself. Then I will come to Don and say, these are my needs. These are my issues. These are my concerns. Now, this can be really hard because if you're feeling anxious or worried or freaked out, your desire is to run to your partner. But if you run to them this way, you're probably stuck in story 
you're stuck in trauma, you're stuck in triggering and victimhood, you're not whole in that moment, right? And so we try to really empower each other to remind each other that we're always whole, we've always got ourselves first, and that um, if we if we stand our own two feet first, then what we bring to the relationship is so much more powerful and healing. I do think that like attracts like. And so if you are have a personality disorder or you're really, really abused and you've never ta- touched that in yourself, you might find another person who's kind of equally abused or abused or in, disordered. and disordered in a similar way. Whereas if you do a lot of work, you can often like attracts like, and you start to attract healthier people. Now, I've also seen marriages. Well, I'm your bestie, so I've seen marriages like yours. We got together in high school. You worked through those together, but you need to have two participating partners who are willing to do that. And so often in the couples' work that I've seen, one comes in really wanting to work, and one comes in so reluctant, or they already have a foot out the door, or they're having an affair. And they boogie and they leave and they divorce and then they go and do the same pattern with the next person. So, you know, I see that a lot. But, you know, you and your husband, David, have always worked together and um, worked on it together. And yeah. and you can become healed and interdependent and grow up together as long as you both work on it and you both own what's yours. And James and I are finally good at owning our stuff and really have healed much of our stuff. And what isn't healed, we can call out and use nonviolent communication. You know, you don't say things like, you made me feel bad. It's like, no, I feel bad because I have a lot of roots that make me feel bad. Let me find those roots. The I statement has way more power than the you statement. And you avoid you, you, you. You can say, when you said da-da-da, I felt da-da-da, and I got really triggered. But it's my trigger. It's my feeling. You didn't make me feel that way. So couple stuff is essential. That's like basic blocks 101 that we try and help people transition into. And their fights really change when they do. And we have used that yeah. from the start. And it's really kept our our relationship healthy and just so loving and so respectful. James, I want to go back to the image that you gave with the the sharp puzzle pieces. So the yeah. way Don was just talking about, you can work on your own puzzle pieces, but like if you were the person who came into the marriage and you didn't want to work on yourself, so then you leave the marriage and you go away and you didn't do anything with your puzzle pieces, you're going to go and attract someone with those sharp, jagged puzzle pieces. Can you talk a little bit about... Um, the choices that you have either to show up broken and what that puzzle looks like. And then what happens if you don't work on it? And if you do, and if you have some simple examples to offer as you talk about that. Yeah. And, and I'd first just like to reframe broken to just wounded okay. or hurt, wounded. right? Like uh-huh. hurt people, hurt people, we say, right? So right. if you're hurt, and as a result of that, you're codependent, you may be very insecure, maybe you have a very anxious attachment style. I, I struggled through all of those. When I left my first marriage, I had a very strong understanding of the fact that I needed to work on those. And in fact, my first marriage failed because 
my puzzle piece was getting rounded off. It was, my edges were getting less jagged. I was starting to find autonomy. I was starting to f- starting to find self-healing and self-comfort and self-soothing, self-forgiveness. And boundaries. And boundaries. <laughs> and as I started to boundaryize to the codependency, as I started a boundary against the what was really abusive behavior from both of us, right? Um the marriage failed because she was unwilling to do that work. So she found someone that can, that fit her jagged piece and had an affair because that she still needed that comfort, right? Codependency is tremendously comforting. Mm-hmm. It's just that it's turbulent and toxic and unreliable, right? So she went and found literally the example that you're describing. She went and found someone that fit her jagged pieces still. Mm-hmm. And I ended up leaving the marriage to go try and find something healthier. Now, I still had a long road of some some bobbles and, and struggles, but eventually I did get on the path of figuring out what I needed to do. And what was really fascinating to me is when I stepped into this relationship with Don when we started dating, I hadn't dated for two years. I'd worked continuously on that, moving my anxious attachment style to more secure, trying to deal with my codependency, trying to be self-sufficient. And yet when I got in relationship with her, all this stuff came up. Because you can't work on it without the trigger of the relationship. And I had this tremendous gift of a partner who was also, if she had stuff being triggered as well. And here I had this tremendously wise and capable person who was saying, no, no, let's not fall into that dysfunction. Let's stand in the fire together and get through it. And that first year was turbulent. We had some moments of like, oh boy, (laughs) because we stood through them we got stronger. We, we cared about each other's independence. We cared about each other's power. And each other's little kid part. Say that again, Dawn. Well, you know, I'm a gestalt psychotherapist and, and James is trained in this too. And, um, gestalt or IFS in, in individual family systems work, it has different parts that gestalt uses. And one of the parts are small, children inside ourselves, you know, the, the wounded little kid inside. And I work a lot with clients on this stuff. And when they can really get a handle on their kid part and feel better about their kid part, it starts to heal them and they become more and more of a whole person and they stop going here. You know, I'm going to hand this pillow, this little kid part off to you, honey, because you're supposed to take care of my kid part. Cause I don't like it right now. Do you love it? You know, and it, they try to get validation for it. That's and, the, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but that's the comfort that James was talking about, that when yes. you're in a codependent and you can hand that little kid part of you to somebody yeah. who will take it, it actually does feel comforting, yes. but you didn't heal it. No, and it's not his job. I hold my little girl. I love her and I love her and heal her into wholeness. And there's attachment work. You know, we both do this kind of work and that you try to heal those inner parts yourself and learn how to hold them. And then I teach couples how to hold each other, you know, in different attachment work and stuff. It's called co-regulating. Like I'll have a husband get behind his wife and hold her while she holds her little girl. Mm. And I say, now you hold the adult woman while she holds her little girl. It's not your job to hold her directly, the little girl directly. And honey, don't hand your little girl off to him. You know, it's your little girl. 
you heal her, you hold her, but he can support you, the woman, while you heal her. And so that's co-regulating. If you get the, it's like math. If you get the right order of events, you get the right answer. You know, it's like we we too often go, here, you hold the my little kid and give me the validation that that kid is okay because my dad never gave me that validation that that kid is okay. Yeah. And so we talked about our, our he, you know, our wounded parts like that. And yeah. and he learned to hold his little boy that way, too. And in so fact, my morning meditation routine every morning when I meditate, I do my mantras and everything. The last five to ten minutes of my morning meditation is holding Jimmy. This Jimmy. <laughs> when I was a little boy, everyone called me Jimmy. And so my youngest part is Jimmy. And when I hold him, that sets a stability through me for my whole day. And oh. if, it, if we have any strife in our relationship, the first thing I do is find the private place and hold Jimmy to say, hey, I got you. I love you. I will never give your care away to another human being again. Don't worry. And when that internal part of me calms down, my whole system regulates. And now I'm ready to have an adult conversation with Dawn. This is this is so something that people can take and hold on to. What do you say when you're meditating in the morning and you hold Jimmy, I love that it's a different name. Cause I come in and go morning. I love both, but it's yeah. not my job to take care of Jimmy. It's his job, but I can totally love and support James doing that. Yeah. yeah. And, and James, what is it like? What, what are you saying to yourself? I'm trying to be the ears of my listener. Who's going, I yeah, how do you do that? Well, first, you know, I do my whole meditation routine. And then the very end, I'm still now, my mind's quiet. I'm usually feeling very present. And I, and the first thing I do is I don't run over Jimmy. I stop and I, and I just say, Hey bud, how are you this morning? What's going on? And if he's turbulent, if he's upset, if there's anything going on, then I, then I hold him. I listen to his struggle most of the time nowadays, he's like, I'm great, right? Like, mm -hmm. but if he's upset, I will literally hold him. I imagine him in my arms, my childhood self, holding him and saying, man, I got you, buddy. Or we use a pillow. We yeah, actually I'll even hold a physicalize pillow. it. Yeah. And then I will, and I will comfort him. And I will remind him those things I just told you. I will say, I love you. Look at the strong, powerful man you grew into. You're, you're going to be okay. Um, and I will never, ever give your care away again like I tried to do it in previous relationships. You're never going to be abandoned by me again, by me trying to give you away. That's that's in part what gives so much turbulence to people and asking others to care for their child is because they're actually abandoning their inner child when they do that. They're giving it away to somebody who cannot care, to somebody who can abandon that child where we never do that. We are that child, right? So I just remind him that he's completely safe. That, and that I have got him and that I have moved past that behavior. And, you know, 99% of the time, he calms right down. I feel this warmth go through my body. I feel grounded and present. And there's this moment where he'll kind of like, okay, bye. And then he'll, he just vanishes and I'm done. You know, it's, it's often just a few minutes now. It used to be quite a, quite a bit of work, but it's so many years now of it, it's just like, okay, thanks, dad, kind of thing, like, thanks, thanks, grown-up me, you know, like, whatever the word is, yeah. and um, then James, I feel better. Thanks, James. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Thanks, James. Yeah. Well, I also, I hear you're like, how do I do this? And, you know, we train a lot of uh, clients how to do this, and and we do it ourselves. We really do practice what we preach, and um, 
One way to do it when you're not used to talking to parts of yourself is to use a pillow and put it in front of you and say, you're my little girl. You got abused by dad. You got abused. You know, you were the one who learned how to get strong by being tough and by being a badass and by, you know, and then you kind of describe her or him. And then you can use journaling where you do a notebook on this side, one page. Um, like if you have a spiral notebook, one, the left side, you have your adult voice and on the right side, you have your child voice and you can say, so what kind of things do you like little girl? And then the little girl will write back. And so you can write this stuff out and start practicing dialoguing with these internal parts of yourself. And that's a very concrete way because some people feel awkward talking out loud to them. <laughs> we don't anymore. Yeah. We're crazy that way. <laughs> As my Gestalt teacher says, we're lunatics. <laughs> but it's a wonderful way to work with it. And I do a lot of things verbally, but many people feel more comfortable writing these out. They start to learn what their little parts like. Like, what are your favorite foods? What are your favorite activities? Mm -hmm. You know, what do you like in life? And mm -hmm. that's how you get to know these parts. Well, I used to love bubble baths and to eat ice cream in the bubble bath, but you totally forgot that, you know? <laughs> and you start to go, oh, wow, yeah, I remember that now. That was nurturing. That was like a comfort food or a comfort thing I did. And those kind of things are super important if you're healing an internal child part. So yeah, that's been that. a piece of our relationship. You know? So what I heard was first thing to be able to hold that inner child is describe. I yeah. know you are the tough kid because everybody was bullying you out of your milk yeah. when you were in elementary school. And then yeah. asking questions and letting that voice of your inner child answer back to emerge yeah to emerge and we call that silly questions like mm -hmm. what do you want to do today it doesn't have to be some big heavy uh trauma experience it can also just oh, be yeah. hey little kid inside of me what's going to make you happy today yeah and in fact the more you do it the less likely it is to be a big deal when you yeah. if you start the practice you might get some really interesting discussions in the beginning <laughs> but yeah. once you've done long time generally there's only turbulence if something's generally turbulent within you and your life well and some people might find that they're a little bit like the russian stacker dolls you know it's not just one little kid you have a little you know a toddler who got wounded you have a grade schooler who got wounded a middle schooler and then you even find those larger teen parts that were like super sexual you know, why were they so sexual? You know, you start to learn some of their wounds. Yeah. And so if you really get into gestalt work, it can be incredibly healing and really informative in terms of what happened to your life experience, you know. How were we made? Yeah. How how were we loved and wounded into existence? Who loved us into being and who wounded us into being? Both things happen to us. And usually both by our parents. Yeah, usually both. <laughs> yeah. How was I loved and how was I wounded into who I am today? I loved that. And we carry that information like on a, you know, floppy drive. You know, like right? Some people are more floppy than others. Nobody's yeah. going to relate to floppy drives anymore. And we get to rewrite those floppy drives, you know, or those discs or those stories. stories. And we really get to rewrite over them with love and healing and then a redo, but not because somebody is taking that healing of the child over for us we do it ourselves and we have somebody who celebrates and supports us in that 
and doesn't... celebrating and supporting. So you can, Dawn, you can celebrate and support James healing Jimmy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. James can help and support you, Dawn, healing that inner child inside yeah. of you. And that's yeah. the distinction between codependent when you would just, when James would say, here's Jimmy, fix Jimmy. That's yeah. codependence. And that interdependence is. is you watching James hold Jimmy. Well, and- I might even do another step that's not codependent where I'll say, hey, it feels like you maybe got a little young. How are you feeling right now? Do you feel triggered? And so I might even facilitate like, hey, I'm observing something. So in nonviolent communication, they have four steps. You make an observation. Then you talk about your own internal feelings about that observation. I feel scared about that. I feel uncomfortable. And then, so I might observe that his voice got young and he's sounding triggered like a child. And then I say, I'm getting a little scared because I um, don't want to get into a big fight. I don't want to hurt your feelings. So I make an observation. Then I talk about my feelings around that. And then I will move to what I need because of those feelings. So I'm needing a little space right now. So I'm needing a little space would be my need statement. And then I request that we take a little space. Maybe you could meditate. Maybe I could go work out, move some of this fear through my body. And a lot of times when you're triggered, the fight or flight response has taken some of your cognitive function offline. So if you trust your partner, it's a way to go, oh, you're right. I'm I'm running down the hill out of control, whereas if in that moment can give you some perspective so that you can go, oh, I do need to go calm down. I do need to go for a walk. I do need to go work out. I need to meditate. I need to go talk to Jimmy, whatever, whatever your process is. And everyone needs to kind of come to that place of what their own process is. In those moments where I feel wobbly, Don doesn't abandon me, right? Because to do that makes my job 10 times harder. So she says, I love you. I got you. Not going anywhere. You're okay. We're okay. Now go take care of your shit. (laughs) When your partner's constantly saying, oh, you poor baby, let me carry that for you. You come into a belief, an illusion that you're not capable of doing it. But when your partner reminds you, hey, man, I'm not abandoning you. I'm not telling you I don't care, but you got this, right? It's not cold. It's very warm. It's like, I love you and I love you so much. I want you to be powerful enough to not need me to carry you. Do you have a habit that you practice in your relationship or that you've seen practiced that's helpful to relationships? We have a habit of a couple hours a week of sitting down and having a process time. And we have a process list that I keep on my phone and he keeps on his. And if I have something come up during the week, but we're busy and we can't talk about it, and nor should we maybe talk about it then if I'm triggered, I'll put it on my process list and then I'll talk with him on Saturday morning over coffee and brunch. And if we don't have anything on our process list, we can just go out to brunch and have fun. And it's like a date. But if we have something, we can sit down and we can talk it through. And in the beginning, we had a whole bunch of process stuff and the first year or two. And now this last year, I've been like, yeah, how about that process time? (laughs) He's like, no, I don't have anything. No, I don't have anything. We're too good. So we still check in. We still check in. And so having a time every week, I think 
that doesn't move. Sometimes I think that's our, we've had such crazy schedules that it, when it moves, it can get forgotten. But if you have a date night every week and a process time every week, and you try not to process during your date night, and you only go on a date if you don't have anything to process. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much people are going to benefit from this discussion. It is so beautiful. And the way you've put it into words is just so articulate and, and personal because you shared your personal lives. People will relate immediately and you're reframing some things about what it means to be in relationship that I think some of the younger people who haven't gone through all of those lessons might see their relationship differently, see that yeah. it is strong when their sweetheart is saying, you've got this, I believe in you, that that is still support. Yeah. And oh, I am so grateful. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thanks for asking the good questions. Yeah, and thanks for being my bestie. <laughs> <laughs> that is We've had question. conversations like this over the last 50 <laughs> years or something. Right? This time all we did was record it. The same conversation <laughs> recorded. That's it for today. I'm Rebecca Mullen, and this has been Habits for Your Happily Ever After, where we get clear about your marriage communication. Because when your relationships are strong, you're better able to concentrate at work, reduce conflict at home, and receive support for your dreams so you can have the courage to live your best life. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd be grateful if you'd send a link to your friend. Habits for Your Happily Ever After is produced by Grace Smith. All our music and sound comes from Walk West Productions. I'm Rebecca Mullen. Thanks for including me in your relationship today.